What's going on, guys? Welcome to week five of the playbook with Joey and Zach. I hope it's been a good week for everyone. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. You're now listening to WZBC AM Sports Radio, and we're excited to bring you another week of Boston sports over the next hour. So tonight to start, we're going to talk about the shifts in the college football landscape, most notably Lincoln Riley on his move to USC and Brian Kelly's move to LSU. Uh, after that, we'll recap BC football's tough loss at Wake Forest and talk about Halfley's extension uh, through 2026 and what it means to the program. Uh, then we'll talk about the recent happenings in the MLB and the potential lockout, uh, which could be happening very soon, maybe even early as midnight. Uh, and to finish up, we will discuss Fenway Sports Group's purchase of the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, which just happened over a week ago now. And if we have time, we would love to take call-ins at 617-596-3150. 617-596-3150. So give me a text there and let me know. And then uh, hopefully at the end we'll have some time. Yeah, let's get it. So uh, let's get right into it. Um, a couple of days ago, big news uh, changed the entire college football landscape. Lincoln Riley um, accepted a deal to become, to become the next head coach of USC. Pretty crazy because I thought he had a good thing going on with Oklahoma. Um, you know, one of the biggest recruiting powerhouses in the country. And then all of a sudden, he's moving to USC, a team that's, you know, been great in the past, but they've kind of, you know, really been slow the last few years. Um, you know, they've had a tough year this year, especially. Um, you know, they're never where they're supposed to be. And I think he is kind of the right hire for them, and he can bring them to the next level. Already bringing in a lot of his top recruits from Oklahoma that are flipping over. Um, so I know USC fans are definitely excited about bringing him on. Yeah, I, I saw that his his contract was nuts. Whatever they gave him, they gave him like hundred ten million. So many perks, private jet, private he jet. Wants. Yeah, I guess it's not they, a bad. They bought him a house in L. A. for like six million. Yep. Yeah, he got it all, and he's going to a big program too. So it's not like he's you know it's not a bad consolation going to USC. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it hasn't been too. as great in the past ten years as uh, you know Oklahoma's been. The last five years, probably you know ten years ago, USC was still pretty good. Um, they've obviously struggled over the last five years, but either way, he's going to a big big school. Nice weather too. Um, mm-hmm. He's got it all now. Doesn't get much better. Yeah, too, big so. time program, big time recruiting. Still, I'm sure he's psyched. Already um, bringing on a couple five star guys with him over there. Absolutely, so. he's bringing some of his uh, some of his coaching coach, you know, some of his staff uh, mm-hmm. with him to uh, USC. So I'm sure they'll be good. I give them a year. Hopefully, or they two. can hang in some uh, playoff games now. Yeah, you never know. I mean, he's a he's a great coach. He can take you know whoever, kind of like Brian Kelly, where they can take whoever they have and uh, you know find a way to win games. So I don't think they're going to be a bad team. I do think it'll take a year though for them to be really good. I think, you know, next year they'll be all right. They'll be good. They'll definitely be better than what they've been. And then two years from now, once he has a full year and a half of recruiting and strategizing, uh, you know, I think he could be, you know, great. I think in the Pac-12 too, I mean, it's not as, mm-hmm. That conference is wide open Yeah, right just, it's not as competitive of a conference. So I'm sure he'll be able to do big things there and we'll see what we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes. I think Absolutely. Brian Kelly's move, I wasn't as big of a fan of. Um, I didn't like that. I thought he had a better situation than Notre Dame personally. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, uh, he's been building this thing for the last 10 years, and then all of a sudden he jumps ship to LSU, which, you know, is already losing a ton of guys in the transfer portal after the departure of Coach O. Even for LSU, too, I don't really like that move because, I mean, I thought Coach O was solid. He wasn't, I mean, he won a championship with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Yeah, he was uh, there. But, you know, he's still an all right coach, and I don't think Brian Kelly, you know, he's not that guy for me. Um, yeah. You know, he struggled in the college football playoff, and he struggled in a lot of big games. Um, with Notre Dame, he's still building something special, but it just seems like, why would you go that hard at Notre Dame to build that kind of program and then jump ship to LSU, who's really not in much of a better situation right now? Yeah, I don't like the way he went about it. I think that's what I don't like more, the way he didn't tell the team and then called a 7 a.m. meeting and he talked for four minutes, doesn't take questions, 
doesn't say bye to players, just leaves, just, you know, mm-hmm. acts like he just closed the door. I don't like that at all, too, the fact that the players found out through social media. Yeah, he just closed the door and acted like he was just tying his shoelace, you know, rather than it being something that's obviously monumental and historic. Uh, it was crazy, you know, the way he went about it. I figured, you know, a guy that's a head coach of a school so prestigious and, and you know, as great as Notre Dame, you know, he'd go about it in a better way and maybe be a little more respectable professional towards the players, but mm-hmm. it seemed like he just didn't care at all and just left. No, yeah, he just... You know, so much for all those relationships with the players that you claim to have and, you know, how much you love the school and everything. And you just, you know, within 12 hours, you go from hearing breaking news on Twitter and then 12 hours later, he's giving you a five-minute speech on, you know, like why he loves the team and commitment and all that, um, which really, in the end, just sounds fake. Yeah. <laughs> to that be was, honest, if, you know, you preach all of that and then... That was all about money. You know, I'm sure mm-hmm. he's getting more money where he is. Um, yeah, he's a lot of money. It's 10 years, 95 mil. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a lot. Yeah, I, see, I was so too. focused on the Lincoln Riley contract that mm-hmm. I haven't checked into the Brian Kelly one. But I think I like Lincoln Riley's move. Um, you know, he's obviously going to a team that's, uh, you know, not been as good as it should have been. Um, you know, he's, you know, with Brian Kelly going to LSU, they've been good. Obviously, like you said, they've won a national championship. So it's like he's going to a program that's been really struggling. Obviously, they didn't have as good of a year the last couple of years mm-hmm. without Joe Burrow, but. They're still a good team, uh, you know. Still great players. And USC though, uh, they came to BC in what year was it? 20, 2014. 2014, Yeah, and then BC came beat them. Tyler Murphy had a big touchdown run for the win. Uh, at least you know it was the winning run. John Hillman had a touchdown. My boy had a big run. Oh yeah, let's um, go. You know, it was historic days. Then that's when they were still really good. And then obviously now they've been on the downtrend. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll see how they still they got go. the talent, all the potential. Still a big time program. Yeah. So absolutely a great school too. So you can just recruit people just for the education there. Mm-hmm. Might be a couple of issues already though today. These are just rumors, um, purely by the way. But one, a five-star cornerback, um, Damani Jackson, I think his name is. Apparently, there's rumors that the defensive backs coach from Oklahoma that was recruiting him um, was recruiting them to USC months ago at the time, well, and USC is in his top two already with Bama. So, that's a little, okay. little. Uh, I didn't a sketchy hear about business, that. if that's true. So did not hear about that. That's interesting, though. A little bit Maybe of scandal already to start the uh, Lincoln Riley career. Must have been under the table where they were going to say like finish a regular season. We don't want you, you know jumping ship in the regular season because don't think it was tampering or something. Wait till the end of the regular season, which I don't like mm-hmm. the way college football goes about that. I think everything should happen at the end of the season after bowl games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that too. That guy's like Brian Kelly are just totally leaving their team for the bowl game. Lincoln yeah. Riley too. I'm not a big fan of that, and mm-hmm. I, I know everyone does that. So that's what happens every single year. You know, it's just kind of odd too, because then the head coach goes to their new team, and you know, like the new team still has one game left of the old season to play, and you know, there's no time to install your new scheme or anything. So there's nothing for the head coach to even do at the new school. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I think honestly, something to change with that. Maybe they should make a rule where, you know, if you're gonna be jumping ship, you gotta at least finish the season out. Because um, mm-hmm. in other sports, it doesn't really happen. You know, no coaches really jump from one team to another ever really they you know they get fired as a head coach and they go be the offensive coordinator of another team and stuff mm-hmm. but, but it's all after the season yeah exactly it's not, it's not you're not doing it in the middle of week 15, exactly 16. jason garrett got fired and he's not you know going to get a job until maybe you know next season probably shouldn't get a job but he'll probably get <laughs> yeah, a job you know after this season's <laughs> over yeah probably you know tough season with him and the giants he really uh really took daniel jones you know on a downwards path so not daniel jones's fault but either way it's besides the point point <laughs> is though that a lot of teams you know they have guys, and you know, you're recruiting, you know, new coaches and stuff during the season in college. But I just don't see that as a. It's really just college football that is. No other really, no, no other mm. college sports do that. I just yeah, I think like that's that it. Just for those few weeks of recruiting leading up to National Signing Day. Uh, I don't like National that. National Intense Signing Day. But I um, guess I see I don't why like they it do either, it. But I see yeah, I guess why it's they just do it. Really for recruiting. It's recruiting because um, now you get you know whenever the National Signing Day is, uh, they get you know a couple weeks and stuff to prepare and try to you know get guys to 
obviously go to their school and everything. But still, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the way they go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it's going to be weird. And, you know, now Oklahoma's kind of falling apart. Everyone's entering the transfer portal. You know, like, there's nothing left yeah. of that team. A lot of five-star recruits are decommitting, too. Mm-hmm. So, a lot yeah, of guys go to the USC. A lot of mismatching yeah. now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll still be good. You know who comes in the head coach? I mean, I mean Notre Dame mm-hmm. too. They still got a, yeah, Notre Dame picks their schedule, program. so they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They'll be fine. Yeah, That's they got, another. They got the ACC Kelly. schedule nah. with the easy version. Brian <laughs> Kelly. I mean, not Chip Kelly, but Brian Kelly's missing out on the uh, being able to pick games now. Now he can't pick games. Now he's in a bigger mm-hmm. conference. Yeah, now he's gonna conference. have to go through Bama, Florida, Georgia. Yeah, it's good luck. <laughs> good luck. I think I he's a good coach. That. Yeah, I think he's all right. I don't think he's. I wouldn't put him as a top five coach in college football, though. No way. No, he's probably not. not. For me. I think. I, I think I'd rather have Jeff Halfley than Brian Kelly. Uh, I'd probably go. I'd probably go with Brian Kelly. But it's not that I don't like Halfley, but Brian Kelly has. You know, they don't win those big games. They do make it to the national championship and stuff. So that's why mm. I give him the edge. But he's got that brand, though. If Halfley had a Notre Dame brand, I think it'd be a different. Uh, a different story. Yeah, Halfley, we got to win some games in the ACC before we can be talking about we Brian do. Kelly. Here's a Kelly, healthy least, season. At least Brian Kelly wins the, the ACC games. He does win the ACC game. He's got a team of five-star guys. We're still playing with uh, Steve Adazio's guys out there. Not all of them. Not all of them, but Adazio guys. A lot of seniors and stuff, but a lot of the young guys, obviously, half the guys. But, uh, yeah, I do think I don't like really the move, uh, Brian Kelly's move, but I am a fan of the Lincoln-Riley one. Um, mm-hmm. I do think I do think it'll take some time to see how those things work out, obviously, but I think two years definitely the USC will be good. All right, yeah, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, now Notre Dame Oklahoma have huge openings for jobs. Um, you know, a lot of names swirling around as potential candidates for both jobs. I think my two picks for both schools would be Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati head coach. I think he should go to Notre Dame. Um, obviously, turn that program into something great. They're one of the most competitive teams in the country right now, Cincinnati. Um, very tough, very physical, and I think he'd really fit Notre Dame well. Um, you know, he's a guy that kind of preaches building relationships and, you know, a team first guy, too. So I think he'd fit right in the, at a school like Notre Dame. Um, and then for Oklahoma, Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive yeah, coordinator, he's, he's been great. Um, played two SEC teams this year, didn't give up a touchdown. Um, you know, he's always had great defenses. He's a great recruiter. Um, so I think he'd fit right in at Oklahoma. Absolutely. And then in regards to Notre Dame, I do think uh, to take into consideration, consideration, I think both those guys probably be at least talked to, I'd mm-hmm. imagine. Um, but I think uh, I was reading yesterday about Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, I got some of that bottom right now, Marcus Freeman, that oh, a lot okay. of the players like him and they wanted they want they've been talking to the Notre Dame program, want them to elevate him. So we'll see how that goes. I, I do know as you said, Cincinnati's coach, he probably will have the edge just because he's a head coach and Freeman's only been a defense coordinator. But I do think mm-hmm. though if they were to stay in house, I don't think it'd be a bad thing since he's already been there. He obviously knows what the system's like, he knows, you know, all the players probably can mm-hmm. he's at a least good keep some too. Exactly he'll probably yeah. keep some from transferring out. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think Freeman would be a solid option. Um, they're Notre Dame right now is is eleventh in scoring defense at eighteen point three points a game, uh, which is great. Okay. Um, and then also, uh, he's a former Ohio State player, so not a tough schedule though. Yes, not a tough schedule, but he's played in college football. He knows the system of Notre Dame. Um, I think it'd be a solid option to stay where he is, especially if all the players like him too. So yeah, he's a good candidate for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were saying, yeah, you never know. Honestly, it's going to be whoever gets the most money. You know. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, those yeah, coaches yeah, they can yeah. have the option between Notre Dame and every you can school go anywhere in the country. You want. Yeah, but they're going to go where the money is. Right now, you can probably go to any school you want. Uh, Definitely, you know, besides the top eight, ten schools, you can probably go anywhere. If I was him, though, I'd want to stay though at Cincinnati just because he built a great program. Mm-hmm. I think staying. Yeah, he hasn't really be... had that chance to get into the playoff. Exactly, yeah, close a couple times, and then I mean, everyone go to as long as they win this next week, you, just, you know, they should be there. Everyone could go to a big program and succeed with all these five star recruits at 
you know, Notre Dame and LSU and, and USC and all that. But at the same time, you no know, one can take a smaller school like he has at Cincinnati. I'm not a big, I'm not a fan of Cincinnati. I don't like Cincinnati. I don't like him either, but, but if they, they go 12 and 0. I do think, though, um, they're going to get... You know, they beat Notre Dame. I think they'll I think get they smoked, though, in the college football playoffs. Oh, I think, well. you know, won't, Georgia would wipe the floor with them, but still, yeah. I don't think... I don't but think I do you could justify... Respect. Since Bama's not winning the SEC championship, I don't think you could justify putting in Bama over Cincinnati. I think Bama could beat Georgia, actually, though. I do think... Uh, I think they could, too. If I, I think, think they, they can. Beat Georgia, they I think it would be a close game. I do, I do think Georgia's the better team, but I do think, you know, an off day, one or two guys have a bad game, a fumble recovery, something, Georgia... Mm. Yeah, it'll take a couple I think Alabama could, could, you know... Stay in the game. Obviously, it'd be a close. Yeah, game Ben's now. saying I still think Alabama is the second game. most powerful team in the country besides yeah. Georgia right now. That's why the SEC is so good. Michigan so. solid too, but Ryan I think Kelly, if it's a Georgia Michigan, yeah, championship, I don't think, uh, you know, yeah, Michigan's going to take down Georgia. Absolutely. Good luck to Brian Kelly though. There, mm-hmm. it's going to be a tough, <laughs> tough conference. Tough, yeah. tough go of it. I mean, Missouri's the worst team in that conference. So <laughs> it's be competing. Yeah, we had a close game with them the first couple years at least. We had a close game with Missouri and Notre Dame's had a couple close games with us the last two years. So yeah, so I guess he's fitting in there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. But uh, anyway, so Jeff Halfley also just got extended through 2026, yep. which mm-hmm. was a great deal for BC. Yeah, I'm very happy about the move. Um, obviously, a great recruiter, a great person. Um, you know, just has the team competing with a lot of these higher ranked teams. BC right now is the 24th best class nationally, um, according to rivals. Um, so you know, it's been really good to see the best class since 2004. We're on track to have right now. He's on the move right now, actually out in Florida. Um, hanging out with one of the linebacker recruits for next year, um, super underrated prospect, and him, um, Tim Lukabu, and a couple of the other defensive staff are out there right now actually on a recruiting trip. Um, but obviously a great guy, great recruiter, and I think he's really been turning the program up. And even though he's only been, what now, 12 and 11 in his two years at BC. Yeah, it's tough. Um, tough, tough a uh, couple of tough games, <laughs> can't even speak. A couple mm-hmm. of tough games he should have won. Tough games. But, I mean, we hung with Clemson tears in a row. The Notre Dame last year wasn't bad. Just a whole new energy to the program almost that I think he brings that no other coach that we could get is going to bring. So, I mean, it's great that he's staying and he's really buying into the program now. Um, he kind of affirmed his promises that he wanted to stay here and build something special. Yeah. Um, I do like the signing. Um, I think the amount of years, though, I felt like he was going to do maybe three or four just because I felt like he'd want to leave at some point. But I guess he wants to stay. I mean, deals can fall apart whenever. I mean, if he ever wanted to leave and, you know, there's a better offer or whatever, they could always terminate contracts. Because I figured he was going to do a two- or three-year mm-hmm. deal and then go somewhere else. But, yeah, uh, about a three-year deal. 2026, maybe more guaranteed money probably went with, with that, um, which would make more sense, obviously, since he's, you know, mm-hmm. hasn't really cashed in yet, um, like, you know, Brian Kelly and all of them have. So uh, I think it's a good deal for BC. Obviously, it gives some closure, and, you know, you'll, you'll have some recruits that – uh, you know, want to stay at BC now. I know if he ended up leaving, you know, to go somewhere else, a lot of the recruits he signed probably would leave just like LSU's and USC's and mm-hmm. Oklahoma's. Um, and I'm sure Cincinnati's too. If, probably uh, everyone, yeah. If we the left. He's pretty much everything we got right now going for us. So, see how that goes. But uh, BC's been struggling though. Uh, mm-hmm. Tough loss to Wake Forest, 41-10. Yeah, we looked awful. I think the biggest, the biggest headline was the poor performance from Phil Jakovic, 3 of 11 for 19 yards. A touchdown, which honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful we even scored a touchdown. Two interceptions and a fumble uh, to go along with yeah, 66 rushing yards. But two interceptions and a rushing. fumble. I mean, the three catches, I mean, three completions he had, I guess, were gifts because three of 11 is an awful stat line. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough game. I, I, I'm I think not a big fan of play calling, though, either. All, every shot we've been taking is deep. We don't really. I don't, don't know. He missed a lot of guys, though. The there were a lot of throws, though. He didn't did have a poor and, game, I will say. Um, it wasn't even he had time to throw too, so I wouldn't even say it was timing. I just think the wrist is still an issue. I do think he's a really good player, but I think the wrist is still bothering him. He definitely him. is still yeah, he's still a little bothered by the injury for sure. 
Um, three um, of eleven, though. But some of it does come with the play calling too, because especially if he's not throwing well, and then you know the deep ball is not really working out against a strong secondary like Wake Forest. You know, you got to start to find other creative options. You know, we had that one. I think it was a dump off to Zay Flowers where he Touchdown, went eighty yards you know. or something. And it was called back. Um, you know, we got to start doing more plays like that. You know, just get you know Zay or Jalen Gill the ball over the middle and just kind of let them work. Yeah, um, they're two of the most explosive guys in the ACC, and we haven't really given them many opportunities to make plays like that this season. I think so Phil. I, I think, think Phil's the, the reason, actually. I do um, for the for the not for the getting the, the ball. I mean, there were a lot of throws yeah. though. Gill had a couple wide open routes where he ended up throwing over the middle to whoever it was Barry or whatever. There was one play where Gill was wide open on the sidelines for first down, and rather than going for the first down, I think it was like third and ten or whatever. He's trying to throw over the middle for a five yard pass, like that was going to do anything. But you know, it's obviously at the same time, it's not always you know. You got to th- go through progression. It's not always the first guy you look at, but at the end of the day, though, we only had nine first downs. That's that's a big issue. And, yeah, uh, there was just 25, no at all. Nine first downs, which was brutal. A lot of teams have flu though, too. I think that's a major factor why we looked so sluggish out there. Because we just kind of looked like we had no energy, and really we didn't. You know, fifteen some odd guys had the flu. A lot of guys were out. Yeah, um, I mean, he struggled against Florida State too. So I'm gonna blame the wrist more than anything else, which I would hope it's the wrist because if this is him healthy, which I do think they rushed him back. Um, you can't go from a season-ending injury to all of a sudden on a Friday night, oh, I'm playing tonight. You know what I mean? I think I think they rushed him back. I mean, he looked um, great, though. Two weeks ago in Georgia Tech, he had five total touchdowns. Um, I don't know what happened that game. player of the week. He was, I don't know what happened, I thought he though. was back for sure. He, you know, it was so, three I mean, games. At some point, he was ready to go. Three of the four games, he's been back. 112 passing yards, 310 versus Georgia Tech, but 148 and then 19. Factor in all the turnovers, too. I mean, three over the last two games, three, three interceptions. I don't even know if he had a fumble against Forest State, but I know he had a fumble against Wake Forest. Um, yeah, I don't think there was any fumble against Turnovers State. have been tough, though. Three turnovers, one touchdown. The touchdown we had, you know, I'll take since it was early in the game. It was still a game when we scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm very critical seven. of him. Um, I do think he's still hurt, though, so I don't think it's just his fault. But there are a lot of guys wide open, and you're bouncing the ball in front of guys' feet. A couple of his interceptions over the past, you know, two weeks. Two out of the three were just awful throws, which I understand sometimes it's not always you and sometimes decision-making or – the play, or you think a guy's open and he isn't, it's not always, you know, on you as the quarterback. But at the same mm-hmm. time, though... I think the play calling doesn't go change offensively next year. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't have a bad game. I mean, he did, but there was a lot of times where, you know, you got guys open or, you know, things are just weird. There's no consistency to the way we play. If the deep ball's not working, we keep trying it. There's just not a whole lot of diversity in a lot of the plays we call. Yeah. Um, we so like I think that should be priority one moving forward with, you know, because we have some of the most talented offensive guys in the ACC. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we should be putting a lot more points up than, you know, uh, 10 against Wake Forest, a team that gave up like 56 to Army just about a month ago yeah. now. So. It's tough. I think, honestly, though, I, I, I think he's still hurt. He ran 28 times over the last two games compared to the first game of the year. He ran five times. The second game of the year, obviously, he left in the second quarter, didn't run at all. And then against Virginia Tech, he ran nine times, eight times versus Georgia Tech. But he's run 28 times over the last two games which is clear that he's hurt because he can't make the throws. He's coming up short on every pass. Mm-hmm. He looked um, good, though. He lost a lot of weight when he was injured and then came back, and he's you know, he definitely gained a step faster. Um, you know, A lot of those touchdown runs he's had the last few games, he looked, he looked like you know, one of the most mobile QBs in the ACC. Yeah, I don't like him running, though, that much. He got popped two or three times against Florida State. He's been getting hit a lot. Wake Forest, he got We've hit head once or twice. Poor O-line played the last few weeks. Um, I think it's time to throw, though. I think it's that when he runs, I think, you know, protection breaks down. But he's had time to throw on a lot of those passes. Of the 11 he threw last game, he probably had time to throw on seven or eight of them. Probably good time. And he likes to hold the ball a lot, which I, you know, I know a lot of quarterbacks at college. In the NFL, though, you hold it for an extra second, fumbles are going to happen very easily. They're just going to hit you, you're going to fumble. But in college, you can hold the ball for an extra second. 
uh, unlike the NFL. But I, I am critical of Phil. I do think he's been part of the reason we've been struggling. Um, I would blame the wrist injury probably more than anything. But at the same time, though, which I know every BC fan wouldn't want to hear this, but if Grossell's healthy, I want at least who has healthy out there. I don't want a 40% of Jacoby if I can at least have 100% of a guy that's healthy. I'm not saying Grossell's going to play. Over him and Moorhead? Okay, or him. Yeah, either way. I was okay. just saying Grossell because he started a lot of games this year, so I was thinking they'd probably I, go with Grossell. Think, but just for energy purposes, I don't think I could ever go back to Grossell just because, I mean, I love the guy. I think he's a great leader and a great well, yeah, I go, you know, I'm solid player, but... Either way, I, I just I the way he I just favor gross misses just because he more games. You, know, you see guys like Zay Flowers like shaking their head if he gets missed for the fourth time in the game. It's just you know it's it is hard to watch. I think Moorhead would be so if I had, if I had to choose I one player, I feel I'd choose Moorhead, but I still don't think not at this stage in the season. I still I don't, don't think we have another QB that's ready enough to play um, over Phil. To be honest, I don't think him hurt even though one of them both of them might have better stats than Phil. I just think Phil's running value adds more than you know any of our backups right now. Not that we have bad backups, but I think. I don't know. I'd, I'd, you know, we've already been struggling in the offense to begin with, with, you know, Grossell and Moorhead out there. And I mean, Phil hasn't been much better, but yeah, at Phil's least our offense is a little bit more dynamic with him out in the field. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, Moorhead wouldn't be a bad option. I just said Grossell because he started more games. At this stage of the season, if let's say Phil couldn't go for some reason to the bowl game, I don't think you'd throw Moorhead in there. After yeah. If, if it was a bowl game, so that's why know, I said Grossell. Like that, um, but I actually would have put Grossell in over him, at least at halftime after last game. He threw, we scored no points in the second half. You know, we scored 10 at, in the first half, none in the second half. and I First half wasn't bad, though. 24-10 wasn't, you know, the game wasn't over. If, if you look at us moving the ball, though, it felt like it was four touchdowns. You know, it was 14 mm-hmm. points, but it felt like That's it was That's just the way we worked the last few weeks, though. Tough first half against Georgia Tech. For, uh, I think awful Phil's the first reason. half at Florida State. I think Phil's the reason. But, you know, at least Georgia you Tech and Florida State, Florida State. Georgia Tech, Florida State, second half, it was incredible. We got Florida a gift State, touchdown at the end of that game. You know? um, gave up a touchdown, you know, to go down 26-3 at, you know, the beginning of that third quarter. And then all of a sudden it was all downhill. We, uh, you know, we came back, scored a couple of touchdowns, made it 26-23 at one point, And then, I mean, top end, we couldn't really score again. You know, we came down to the 35 and then go for it on fourth and 10, which I thought was a questionable call to begin with. Um I think our freshman kicker, Connor Litton, I think he's been great. I thought it would have been a better choice to, you know, give him that shot at the 52-yarder or whatever it would have been. Um, you know, kind of let him go and try to make that field goal um, rather than go for it on fourth and ten when, you know, our drive had kind of stiffened and we didn't really have anywhere else to, you know, to go. The rushing game broke down. Um, we couldn't really find guys in the passing game either at that point in that drive. Um, so I think we should have just tried to tie it and go for three. Um, but regardless, second half of the last few weeks, we looked good. I mean, the Wake Forest game was different. But we've had a slow start in every game the last few weeks, and every week we came back. So yeah, I don't think Florida it's unreasonable State, though, to think that we were going to win that time last week. I think Florida State, we got that touchdown with Zay just being wide open. I think we kind of lucky on that one. Because if you look at his stat lines, he was 10-24. to 24. He was struggling heavily, uh, Jacobic. I think that touchdown to Zay, though, because all day, though, Florida State was actually playing solid defense. It wasn't really too much room. There, was, there were guys open, but, you know, no one wide open over the top. Like, you know, Grossell missing Zay a lot of the season. Uh, there was no one like that where there's 40 yards of space. Uh, but on that Florida mm-hmm. State touchdown, there was a good amount of space to Zay on that play. You know, at least five yards of separation. Yeah, was he made a nice double move in there. Um, a lot of separation there. So I think that touchdown was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say lucky, but the way they were playing all day, Florida State didn't have any really blown coverage except that one play. So, yeah. Uh, I am I am critical of the offense now. You should be critical of the defense, but uh, no it's defense not the has been offense. good all year. I've always been supportive of the defense. Um, the rushing game though looked solid. I thought yeah um, last week against Wake, Pat Garwell rushing for sixty five yards and eleven carries, Alex Tinkfield thirty nine yards and five carries. Um, you know Dracovic burst off with a twenty eight yard run and had sixty six rushing yards overall. 
Um, so, you know, I definitely say the O-line looked a lot better in terms of the rush game. Absolutely. Um, last week in various how it did against Florida State. Um, you know, they just kind of got mismatched physically against Florida State. It felt like they were just getting dominated. Um, Phil was getting drilled. The rushing game was going nowhere against Florida State. Um, so, you know, I was glad, glad to see him kind of uh, bounce back for a game, um, especially now as we're starting to get ready for a bowl game. Um, you know, going against maybe a team like UCF or something. I think it's... UCF, Houston, I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at Fenway, actually. Fenway, that'd be great. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. 11 a.m. early start, but it would still be pretty cool. But uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there'd be a lot of BC fans for sure. We'll see how things go. Obviously, now we still have one more game, and you know, we'll have time to repair at least you know two or three weeks. Maybe probably three weeks at least, I'd say. Maybe a whole month. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see how things go. Obviously, I think BC will uh, obviously have some question marks with uh, the offense having to move the ball. That'll have to be a lot better, obviously, if you want to win a game, especially against Absolutely, a team like Houston yeah. or U- mm-hmm. UCF. Yeah, the ball movement's got to improve. Play calling's got to improve. Um, Absolutely. Execution, too. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of guys entering the transfer portal from BC right insane, now. Yeah. Um, you know, with you know a lot of the senior guys on the team um, who haven't played as much this season, maybe as they would hope. Um, guy like Kobe White, I think this is the second year they're doing the transfer portal in a row. My boy. Jamin Muse, he's been good. He was a starter for us in 2020, um, but kind of got lost in the depth chart. Yeah, he got hurt a little bit. Um, and Dion Jones as well, who got injured and kind of fell in the depth chart behind uh, Maitre, Mike Palmer, and Jaden Woodby. So, um, you know, tough to see those guys into the transfer portal, guys that have kind of been a big part of the team over the last couple of years. Um, leaders in the locker room, for sure, from what everyone says. So I think uh, the school's are really going to miss those guys. Absolutely. I think Kobe, I've always been a big fan of him. Uh, hopefully, he, you know, he goes somewhere he can actually play. Um, especially, I think if he went to a smaller school, I think he'd be probably the best player on the team. He's Central Michigan. Reps. That's what I'm hoping. Central <laughs> Michigan, Kent State, get him one of my Mac schools. I'll be watching him on Tuesday nights. He'll go off. And I think, honestly, it'd be very good for him to get himself back on track. If he can stay healthy, mm-hmm. especially if he's at a smaller school, he'd be the primary wideout. He's a good know, receiver. Central I mean, Michigan. he was our wideout one two years ago. So. Yeah, 2018-2019 you know, was great. Uh, Central Michigan, they're going to be losing some guys. Khalil Pimbleton will be going to the NFL and stuff. So I think, you know, if he stepped into a program like that, I think he'd be the best offensive uh, if Lou Nichols is there, the running back, he's like one of the best in the country, he'll probably be the best player on the team. But I do think Kobe could be the second best option on that team. Definitely the best mm-hmm. wideout. Um, I, I favor Central Michigan, so that's why I say that. But anyways, I wonder if uh, I think he'll he'll go to Kobe a small or Muse. I could go to Colorado State too. I think that's a viable option. You know, you see a lot with of boy. BC guys transferring to Colorado State with Daz. reuniting with Dodge. Yeah, the goat. <laughs> Get him out there. Bring back the. Uh, you know, the guys being dudes are back to Colorado True. State. So. Yeah, they, there's a lot of guys. Aaron Bumeri, too, he entered the transfer portal today. Um, oh, yeah. Connor Litton obviously took his position, you know, midway through the mm-hmm. season and lost his job. So he'll probably end up going some. All these guys, though, are, you know, Kobe, uh, Bumeri, they've all got to be entering their sixth year. You know, mm-hmm. so they're yeah, all, they've all been grad there transfers. Heavy grad transfers. Yeah. Crazy. Kobe's been here the whole time. I've been. Yeah, I think Kobe's been here since 2016. Yeah. He's a beast. I love Kobe. I'm a big fan of him. I'm rooting for him. I love him back at BC, obviously, but it just seems like maybe a change of scenery might actually help him get him more options, get him the ball more. Um, I'd love to see him go to a school and succeed. I'm a big fan of him. And I honestly think, though, you know, his speed, his hands, uh, his leadership, obviously, with, with what he's done in the locker room, I do think he could be a valuable piece to a, uh, definitely, a, I think even a big school. I think a small school so he can get reps, too, at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to say that for him. Um, speaking of the transfer portal, too, I wonder what you know BC is going to do on the incoming end. Um, in Halfley's couple uh, first couple of years, he uh, first couple of years here, he's made a couple of splashes. Um, you know, two years ago, bringing in Dracovic and Jalen Gill, which are two huge pieces for us. Um, then last year, he brought in guys like IGM and Jaden Woodby. Um, you know, two great pieces on defense. 
Um, you know, you got to wonder what positions he's going to look to fill this year. Um, you know, kind of what direction he wants to go in the transfer portal. Because I know he's not a huge fan of getting big guys out of the transfer portal. Just a couple guys every year that are, you know, culture fits for the team first and foremost. And, you know, guys that will directly fill a need, yeah. um, you know, for the team. So I think two of the most biggest, uh, the biggest positions of need are going to be O-line. Um, you know, you got guys like Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom going to the NFL draft most likely. Um, and, you know, we're losing a couple guys to graduation in the front seven, too, like Marcus Valdez and IGM, who is our leading tackler this year. Um, you know, who's going to fill those shoes? I think Bryce Steele, he's a great young linebacker, and he's going to be you know, a starting Ronald. piece of this team going forward. Cam Ronald as well. Um, on the defensive line, though, we do need a little bit of help. We're on the bottom of the ACC in sacks this year. Yeah, um, I'm very critical on that. Mm, we haven't really been getting to the quarterback and forcing pressure, and we've kind of gotten dominated by mobile quarterbacks. Um, Malik you know, Cunningham, yeah, seven Malik touchdowns Cunningham. against Duke uh, two Thursdays ago. Big game now. against us. Uh, big so I think that's the key. If there is any position that we could get, it would be O line or D line. Um, you know, I think those are two huge positions of need. Coming off having a pretty good O line, I I don't know about calling them the best, one of the best O lines in the country, but I think they still played well overall this year. Um, for sure, you got guys like Zion Johnson, who's you know should be an All American guard. Um, you know, he's got huge shoes to fill on that team. Um, we've seen a little bit of the backup O-line. Um, guys like Ozzie Chaprillo, he's, you know, he stepped in solid in the absence of uh, Tyler Vrabel. Uh, Jack Conley came in one game, had a bit of a tough game, but, you know, it was just, that was the only sample, you know, we got out of him. So you never know what's going to happen with him in the future. Um, he could be a solid piece moving forward. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we are going to need to look in the transfer portal because there's just too many holes with guys graduating going to the NFL um, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and Mike Palmer, too, he'll be graduating. Um, Grant Carlson, I think these positions are needed all around the field. So we'll see how what BC does there. Um, Jimmy Gibbs is in the transfer portal. I'd love to yeah, get him. But bring him to BC. <laughs> yeah, I think he's gone to Bama. He's going to go USC and Rose. He'll probably get recruited yeah, everywhere. Might have been told to get, go to USC since uh, saying, yeah. April 2020. And Oklahoma running backs have always been good. So mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, he knows Lincoln Riley could, you know, make Lincoln Riley might have been in contact with him since uh, I'd take him. before COVID. I'd take them. But, oh, I would, uh, absolutely. We'll see how things go, obviously. Towards It'll BC. be a big question mark, obviously, with what we do in the transfer portal. But knowing that Halfley's here to 2026 uh, definitely helps to get guys to come here when they know he's you know all in. So see how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're rooting to get guys in the transfer portal. Hopefully, the guys we're losing are Kobe White, John Reviews, Deion Jones, Boomeri. Um, wishing them nothing but the best. Hopefully, things work out for, for them sure. as well. Uh, always mm-hmm. the been a big part of the program the last few years, yeah. So absolutely. Well, Kobe's been my boy. I love him. So <laughs> I'm hoping... You know, things work out for him. I'll be, mm-hmm. I'll be rooting for him heavily. But uh, anyways, now we can get into some some talk about the MLB. Uh, Let's go. Over the last day or so, um, the Major League Baseball Players Association met with the MLB, um, and they've been trying to go over their, uh, their agreements and all their contracts and trying to get everything settled, you know, for the 2022 season. And, of course, there are issues. Um, the collective bargaining agreement actually expires tonight at 11.59, and Jeff Passan said about an hour or so ago now that uh, players and teams were notified that uh, it's basically already over for today. So now players can't sign to a certain extent. I think, you know, it said 11.59, but I think he said that players were told by teams that it's already over the uh, uh, the agreement, the deadline passed. So Major League Baseball is a lot to answer. I mean, there, there have been three lockouts in Major League Baseball history in 1973, 1976, and 1990. Um, and what happens in a lockout is there are no trades, no free agency, no waiver claims. Um, and this is a very active free agency class. Um, you know, you get Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman. 
a lot of guys that are going to get a lot of money, and these guys can't sign, obviously. They'll have to wait until the lockout's over. And who knows, this lockout could be a week, could be a month, could be two months. I mean, they don't know. The MLB and the MLB Players Association have to get things figured out, have to settle and agree on all the money and the deadlines and and, and all the things that go into their contract and and details, which obviously, you know, it's above all our pay grades. You know, everything Mm -hmm. they're talking about, I don't even know. You know, it's very complex, the agreements they go into. And they have to see eye to eye, obviously, since it's a two-way street. Um, but they met yesterday, and, and I guess it was a 30-minute meeting, which isn't a good sign because usually I think they're like two or three hours, and the MLB actually left um, the hotel and, like, you know, checked out and everything. Whoever was there representing them checked out, and just not a good sign for the MLB, and especially for the future of the season. I mean, it's going to be on hold for like a month now probably, and who knows? Mm-hmm. could be a month, but hopefully, you know, things get settled there because, like I said, a lot of guys got to yeah. sign. Um, a lot of big free agents have already signed. Uh, Marcus Stroman actually just now in the past hours uh, announced that he signed with the Cubs. So I guess the collective bargain agreement didn't end. Okay. Yeah, yeah, still, a, still a, what, four and a half hours. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, they said um, they said midnight, but then <laughs> Passant said the teams were notifying players that you know it already ended for the day. But who knows? Okay. I think still a lot of time too until April first, um, even until spring training starts. So you never know what's going to happen in the coming weeks. Absolutely, yeah. Um, even if there's a little bit of a lockout, um, you know, there's still hope. Only December first, so yeah, got a little ways to go. I just worry about a lockout because I feel like setting free agents back to a certain extent takes away the you know joy and in, in, in the excitement of free agency. And now having people have to wait, making people wait, you know, two or three weeks, who knows how long it would be? As I said, I think it takes away from how big this free agency class is. There's so many guys still have to sign, and I mean, there've already been a ton of big signings. Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon have. Got, again, a half a million dollars, half a billion, that is, actually. Oh, yeah. Half a billion from the Texas Rangers. You know, Seager's getting 300, Simeon's 350, whatever he's getting, and Simeon's getting 100-plus. So they get 500 billion almost, I mean, 500 million almost together. Um, so, very big free agent so class. Yeah. I'm just not a fan of having, you know, the lockout or potential lockout. They're basically saying it's inevitable now it's going to happen. I just think it takes away from how big and historic this free agent class can be. Mm, yeah, it is tough to see, you know, a free agency class like this uh, get put on hold. Um, you know, you got to wonder too what's going to happen with a guy like Kyle Schwarber. Um, yeah. Out there from the Red Sox. Um, Absolutely. But a lot of deals have still been going on over the last couple of days. You know, you got Max Scherzer to the Mets. Um, yesterday they announced the signing for yeah. three years, 130 Great million. Great signing. Um, got a roommate Dan Barron's fired up about that. That's fanatic. Maybe he's listening. Hopefully uh, he's listening. He hasn't <laughs> listened to the last few, so. No, we not don't. The last Hey, today he listened to week one. All right, all right now he's back on track. Like he's hearing things about uh, BC football being like three and zero, four and zero. Yeah, hearing about uh, Grossell taking BC football in Louisville. Thanks, yeah. State game. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, gotta love it. But uh, yeah, so Max Scherzer's contract. I'm a big fan of that. Um, my two favorite pitches in baseball, actually, or at least two of which I would say they're probably my two favorites. Degrom and Scherzer are both now the one and two for the Mets. Which whoever you pick at one and two will probably be Degrom would be the number one, and Scherzer would be the mm-hmm. number two. That's so, the best you know, one-two punch. Top, yeah, two ever. top five starting pitchers. Ever. I mean, his really contract's close. awesome. I, I love the contract. He's getting $82 he's getting a minute. He's getting paid, and it's only you know, three years, too. So. Three years. He can opt out after the second year if he wanted, which who knows if he will, depending on how it goes. Um, but he's getting $5,000 an hour, $50, uh, $58,000 per at bat, and $3.6 million a month, which is nuts. He's getting $235,000 yeah, an inning. It's just awesome. I love it. I love it. Very yeah. historic. Um, I'm not a good baseball player, but... I could do that for a lifetime. Oh, I'd love it. Pitching is <laughs> the best job in the world. You pitch once every five days if you're a starting pitcher and you're making money like that. Um, and you only throw about 30 it's games nice. a year and he's making, you know, 43, 43 and change like a year. LeBron's so it's awesome. Well. Yeah, it works out. 
But uh, And the Mets also got Stalin Marte, great outfielder signed for a four-year, $78 million deal. Um, very good hitter. He had 316 um, last year with the A's, um, and then also part of his season with the Marlins, he had 305. He's a 289 hitter over his career. Um, it has always been a very consistent player. He can steal bases. He can hit. He gets on base. He can be a leadoff hitter, very good defensively. Um, those are probably my two favorite signings so far. I, you know, I'm a big fan of Mate. They're two big ones, yeah. Big fan of Mate. I wanted the Red Sox to get him, but obviously we don't have any room in the outfit with Renfro and uh, Verdugo out there and Kike. Obviously mm-hmm. no room. But yeah. And maybe even Schwarber out there. Who knows? But uh, I do love the Mate signing. I love the Scherzer signing. Uh, obviously Stroman leaving now leaves a question mark for the Mets because I know they were interested in re-signing him. But, uh, hey, it's a good time to be a Mets fan, so I'm sure Dan's psyched. Yeah, Hopefully he's listening to it. <laughs> Hope he's listening. But uh, as I said, though, yeah, so this potential lockout, the MLB have to, in the MLB Place Association, they have to figure things out and get everything in their contract. You know, they have to come to terms, get everything in their contract set and settled uh, mm-hmm. because who knows how this will go, how long this will go. And it just hinders the mm-hmm. excitement yeah, that free agency brings. Especially when you got guys, like I said, Trevor Story and Freddie Freeman, MLB, you know, MVP caliber players that now have to sit and wait. Which I don't think you could talk mm-hmm. to players during. Maybe maybe you could talk, but you yeah, at least can sign talk, them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nothing can be official. I don't think there's any tampering rules with it, but either way, not a big fan of uh, the potential mm-hmm. lockout. Yeah, tough as a fan too to we'll sit see. and wait to you know see where some of these big names exactly. Are yeah, the Red Sox. I mean, they signed a couple guys already. So Michael Walker signed to a one-year, seven million dollar deal. Um, he's you know historically you know he was very good at the beginning of his career up until about 2017, and then um, he's actually struggled over the last couple of years. Uh, his ERA. The last three years has been four seven six 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 two and then five oh five. So hasn't been to you know the the caliber of a pitcher that he was at the beginning of his career with St. Louis. But mm-hmm. uh, I think the Red Sox could maybe you know fix things. Maybe fi- I don't know what his issue is. I don't know if it's location. I don't know if it's you know maybe getting old and you're losing some of your stuff and, and your velo and your movement. But hopefully the Red Sox figure things out there. And uh, if he could be a four or five starter for one year, seven million, especially when Garrett Richards was getting ten million last year to do what he did and it was awful. I think it'd be a very good thing for the Red Sox. And then Absolutely. they also signed James Paxton, who actually has been very good over his whole career, except the last couple of years has only had six starts. Um, just got Tommy John surgery. So mm-hmm. he only fits one inning last year. Very good player. They've got one year, 10 million. Yeah, so, a couple of years ago. So. Very good pitcher. And for the Yankees in 2019, he was 15 and six. And hopefully he could be, I project him to be like the three. I would say it'd probably go mm-hmm. Sale, Evaldi, him is what I would think. And then Pavetta's a great four. Maybe Fed will be the three. Who knows? And, Paxton would be the four, but and then maybe Michael Walker would be the five since he's still a starter. And uh, I think he came out mm-hmm. of the bullpen actually like five or six games for the Rays last year. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be happy with that uh, rotation. You know, it's not bad considering where we were last year, especially with the bullpen. Yeah, um, yeah. that still needs a little bit of work, but you know, for a starting rotation, you know, I feel like most Boston fans can definitely get behind that. Absolutely, yeah, especially when the Red Sox have struggled. Pitching has been the issue, uh, main issue, the bullpen for for sure over the last ten years, last five years, even when mm-hmm. we won. The bullpen's always been yeah. It's always been a worry. Every time we get to the fifth or sixth inning, you know, you got yeah. heart rate increases. Except like, not... yeah, it's it's just nuts. Twenty eighteen, very good bullpen. Besides that, over the last five years, we've struggled to find guys that you know can close consistently and uh, guys that can hold games in the seventh and eighth inning. That's mm-hmm. been something we've struggled. Hey, Koji, twenty thirteen. Don't the forget <laughs> the goat. He's the man. Could have been started. That's how good he was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he could have kept the velo <laughs> and everything up for seven innings, uh, but either way, he's great. So, yeah. As soon as it gets to the ninth inning, the game was just over. Oh, yeah. You can close the book. Here's the man. Go back to bed. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep. You already know the Red Sox won. But, mm-hmm. uh, so we'll see how things go, as I said, with the Red Sox. Hopefully, I would like to re-sign Schwarber, but 
I know he's got teams that are interested great, in him. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, had a good season with the Red Sox though, so it might be tough. Good. Yeah, he's got a lot of suitors. Absolutely. I love what the Mets are doing. So if Dan's listening right now, I love what they're doing. Scherzer, mm-hmm. Eduardo Escobar, great signing. Mark Hanha, great signing. Obviously, uh, Stalin Monte, I said I was a big fan of. So we'll look forward to there with them. Um, mm, absolutely. And how about a uh, friendly sports crew too? Purchasing yeah. the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins recently. Um, you know, I was pretty surprised to see that personally. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's honestly very interesting since the Red Sox and the Bruins both share uh, Nesson. The Red Sox own eighty percent of it, which Mike Curley actually. Uh, Gave me uh, note note of that yesterday, which I honestly didn't realize that. You know, I thought it was like maybe 50-50. The Red Sox actually own 80% of it, and the Bruins own 20% of Nesson. So oh, I was okay. thinking there'd be a conflict of interest. And we actually had Charles Steinberg in, in my class yesterday, the Red Sox executive vice president of public affairs. And uh, he came in, even though he's not directly in the Fenway Sports Group, he came in and, you know, answered questions. And we actually wrote an article about it and stuff. And uh, I asked him that question. He said he doesn't see a conflict of interest because – just because Fenway Sports Group now owns the Penguins doesn't mean they're necessarily not rooting for the Bruins also since they're the hometown team, which I still see it's a conflict of interest if you're showing I do too, Bruins yeah. games. You know, you got association with the Bruins and the Penguins. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's a little odd. But he was very cool in my class yesterday. It was really cool to meet him and uh, hear his insight. Uh, I guess, you know, they were looking at expanding into hockey for years now, at least trying to. And uh, he said when a blue chip franchise like uh, the Penguins become available, especially with how much they do on the ice and then off the ice, their excellence in the community um, and commitment to community service. He said, you know, the Fenway Sports Group had to. They had no option but to uh, mm-hmm. try to make a run at it. And obviously it worked out for them. Makes but. sense. Yeah, they are one of the biggest franchises in all of hockey, all of pro sports. Um, so you know, I definitely get from like a financial side and, you know, kind of a sports fanatic side why they would go into that. Um, but, you know, kind of being a Boston-based brand, being all about the Red Sox and having, you know, close ties with Nesson and the Bruins and, you know, all the area kind of, um, you know, going out and buying, you know, one of the Bruins' bitter rivals from some years. Yeah, exactly. People actually asked about that. A lot. And uh, they said to him, like, do you see foresee any issue between, obviously, Pittsburgh fans and Boston fans and trying to, you know, at least bring the two cities together a certain sense since you're obviously not owning the Penguins and you're in, you know, the town that represents the Bruins. And he, he was saying that efforts in – this is his actual quote um, – that the Fenway Sports Group's efforts – in the world of sports are synergistic, not divisive. So their goal is to bring everyone together and not separate. He was saying that, uh, which I'm trying to, I'm going to try to get his exact quote, which I actually ended my article with. He said, sports better teach you a lesson in life that you can go out to dinner with your opponents after the game to celebrate how fortunate you are to play a major league sport. Let sports remind us of unity, not who wins and loses. We're all on the same team. So I thought that was an interesting quote. Obviously you're not going to be rooting for the Penguins if you're a Bruins fan, but mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to get at is if the Bruins and Penguins you know, could come together. And he was saying, actually, if both teams could collide and, and collaborate on community service and, and stuff in the community, that anything's possible since both organizations obviously do a lot uh, in the community and, and mm-hmm. do a lot of service. Yeah, I guess, I mean, to that extent, I do like that quote a little bit. But at the end of the day, sports is sports. And, you know, you're never going to get, you know, fans never want to see, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Boston Bruins hanging out in their own time for no reason. Um, yeah. You know, you kind of watch to enjoy the rivalry, enjoy all that. And I think he knows that. And it's just... You know, kind of given something to, you know... He's got to answer argue, questions. Yeah, he's got he's he's to kind of argue for his point about why, uh, you know, they shouldn't be able to own the Penguins and the Red Sox. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a little weird. You know, it's a little bit of a gray area, but there's got to be some kind of line where, you know, you can't own two of the same things. Like, you couldn't own the Celtics and the Lakers. There's just yeah, no way. no, you can't. Which um, now LeBron's obviously involved in the Fenway Sports Group, so, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> teams get merged, too. Yeah, getting a little odd. <laughs> They're getting a lot of teams uh, Yeah, merged. getting the Celtics and Lakers together real soon. Um yeah, I mean, you got to find some kind of line, you know, 
where can you draw it about, you know, ownership and, you know, what teams can be together. Like, you know, you can never have the Red Sox and the Yankees be owned by the same group. Or, I mean, two Absolutely, teams yeah. in the same league for that matter. Um, so, you know, there is some kind of delicate balance there. And it's just a matter of finding, I think this is a little much, owning the Red Sox and the Pittsburgh Penguins just because of the ties of the Bruins. And, and you know, Yeah, knowing the history with the Bruins and the Penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm uh, not a huge fan of the acquisition. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, obviously Fenway Sports Group's making money off of it and everything, so they're fine with it. I think from a fan's perspective, I understand that. But he actually gave me a great quote again about, you know, the two cities, two different cities, you know, coming together. And he was talking about how the power of sports is transcendent and is supposed to unify people, bring people together. And he said, in the last two decades, a trend in sports is for fans to not only root for their home team, but like team, like players on other teams then end up liking that team. So like me and the Kings, I love the Sacramento uh, Kings because of De'Aaron. So you like a player on every team. <laughs> I, I'm a player on every team, every college team, and every you know professional team. But he said this phenomenon, you know, allows the influence of sports to be universal. And his quote actually was, when one city faces a, a catastrophic event, every city feels the impact. And so we talked about after the Boston Marathon bombings, uh, the Yankees playing Sweet Caroline at one of their games in, in I think the seventh inning, just like a Fenway, or eighth inning that is. And then he talked about how when 9-11 happened, the Red Sox played New York, New York, just to show that even though they're on different sides, when something happens or when you you know there's something to bigger than the game itself, everyone's unified by the game. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. I understand from a fan's perspective, you're not going to be rooting for the Penguins. But what I think he's trying to get at is yeah, I mean, you can get they can unify. Like and you know the Penguins and the Bruins, two great franchises, if they can come together and work on you know, something to, you know, to solve world's hunger or something. I'm sure they could make a bigger impact than mm-hmm. just any person on the street, obviously. So I get what he was saying with that. I do like that quote um, very much about New York, New York and Sweet Caroline. Obviously things that are very, you know, important and special to the Red Sox and the Yankees. He was saying they could be unified by those two songs when a catastrophic event happens, just like the Bruins and the Red Sox, and not the Red Sox, that is, the Bruins and the Penguins can be unified to try to solve, you know, mm-hmm. an issue in the community and, I, I don't think they're going to be fans of each other, you know. No, you know, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, to that extent, you can come together. But I do like um, that. So though. I like that part of it for sure. I read a lot of my uh, article there, so you guys just got <laughs> a great insight into that. So check out my blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How about the uh, Celtics though? Recently, um, eleven and ten. Um, we've had a you know pretty much a stark inability to close games. Um, you know, it really showed against the Spurs last Friday. We came all the way back from a twenty-four point deficit. I think we were up six at one point with a couple minutes to go. Um, and everything just kind of fell apart. Our interior defense, we gave up some easy buckets. Uh, Deontay Murray was scoring a lot in the last few minutes. Yeah. Um, uh, que- a couple of questionable shots. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown took a couple took a couple of shots that I wasn't a fan of. Um, so, you know, definitely wasn't the way that you know you wanted to end the game. I was sitting there and you know just kind of lost hope. Um, cause, you know, all of a sudden we're up six and then we're down six all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so you got kind of got a question: What's going on with the team? Because um, you know, we stormed all the way back. We looked great in the second half, and then everything just kind of fell apart. I don't know if it was the shot selection was a direct factor of that. A couple missed shots that we could have made, uh, missed the layup in there. Um, but you know, things did fall apart, and that's not the first time we've had a lot of close losses this year. Um, you know, the game against the Mavericks a couple weeks ago. That was, you know, we were in that. We had that game in the bag, and then you know, it comes down to crunch time. Luca hits the game in three. It's just so many games that you know we kind of have a slow start, and then. We come back towards the end, and then we kind of fall off. Um, you know, it's just been kind of a weird year. But then again, it's only been 21 games under a new coach, so still a little uh, early to judge what's going on. we got a game against the Sixers tonight, so hopefully everything goes well. We're up 13-4 right now, so obviously can't complain about that. Um, but, you know, I do have a lot of questions for the Celtics moving forward. 
in that game against the Spurs, I think we started out, I think it was like 1 of 15 or 1 of 16. And Something awful. It honestly wasn't smoked. even like, you know, we were taking great shots and I thought we had a chance. Every shot we took, I knew we were going to miss because guys are shooting off of one foot. We're fading away from the basket from 25 feet out. We're dribbling mm. the ball until there's one second left, passing it around. We, we end up shooting like most of those shots were like three or four seconds after the shot clock. And, I don't know if the Spurs are playing great defense. I just think we were so indecisive. No, the Spurs and, have been tough this year. I think they're five and thirteen. Yeah, they're not good. 14. They're not not a very good team. Obviously, the fundamentals are very good on the team. You know, with a team mm-hmm. that Greg Coach Greg Popovich, Greg Popovich yeah. uh, coaches. But either way, it wasn't like they were playing unreal defense. It was just like we were shooting off balance shots just to do it. Like I, I think out of those thirteen or fifteen shots we missed. I was like three of them. I was like, oh, we have a chance. Like, a couple of them were just like mm-hmm. awful choices. Which we do a lot team. of weird shot selection. It was a whole team. team. It was a whole um, team. It wasn't you know, just starts with guy. guys like Tatum and Brown. They they are big fans of the ISO ball. And, yeah, Smart I think it kind of rubs off. Yeah, Marcus Smart. You know, he'll he goes five for five three times in a season. Then all of a sudden, he thinks he can just shoot like eight threes a game. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the guy. I think you know we need him pretty much more than anyone out in the court. Um, love his intensity. For his defense, yeah, and his intensity too. Um, but a lot of questionable shot selection, especially this year. I started to notice it kind of, it was around the time we got in the bubble, actually. I feel like kind of like our offensive play and, you know, um, ball movement kind of broke down once we got to the bubble. And then, you know, ever since, even with the new coach, that's what I thought, that's what I hoped uh, most for out of Ime Udoka and his new, uh, you know, scheme and everything. I was hoping for better ball movement on offense, you know, getting everyone involved again and um, kind of limiting everyone's looks and, you know, having everyone get involved because Brad Stevens' best teams were when everyone was spreading the ball around, everyone was scoring. Um, like 2018, Terry Rozier, young Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Like, we were great that year, and then we haven't even been the same since. Uh, like Jason Tatum was a rookie, and Jalen Brown was in his second year. So, um, you know, I think ball movement is key, and that's something I really want to see increase for the team if, you know, we want to start to get competitive again and start hanging with the top guys in the East. Yeah, we don't have many guys that really have too many assists. Smart's our best guy with assists. He has 5.7 a game. It's not like the days we had Rondo always have. Eight was the least he ever had probably the season for the Celtics in assists. And mm-hmm. Isaiah even was about 5 or 6, 7 a game usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, guys like Terry Rozier probably had about 5 or 6 a game. So having Marcus Smart be a leading assister with 5.7, you know, you're not going to have too many assists if your, you know, leader in assists is a guy that's a shooting guy that loves to just brick brick threes mm, from half court. But I do love threes. his threes. I do love when he shoots them. Obviously, I love when he makes them. I like the confidence, though. Yeah, more than I love the confidence, though. He just goes up in his ratio. I love it, though. So if Marcus Smart's ever listening, yeah, he's never having a bad day. He's just... He can be 0 for 8 and just Kyle pretend like he's here for 0. He's yeah. Kyle Corbin in his head. I love that. I love that about him. Uh, got that mentality. He's a beast. Um, So we got about 8 minutes left. Uh, If anybody wants to call in, I'll just interrupt the Celtics talk real quick. If anybody wants to call in, give me a text at 617 596-3150-617-596-3150. But, yeah, I love, I love the Marcus Smart confidence. Um, oh, Mike Curley actually just alluded to an interesting thing. Former uh, Bruins general manager actually sued the Penguins uh, for copying the Bruins' colors. I forget what year Mike was telling me about this, but he texted me about it. So that's obviously a rivalry. That's obviously a rivalry between the Bruins and uh, Penguins. They have similar colors, and then... Actually, the Bruins general manager did actually sue them before, so that's interesting. I know that interrupted Celtics talk, but I thought that was mm-hmm. an interesting fact. But back to the uh, Celtics talk, I never knew this. Ennis Cantor has changed his name to Ennis Freedom. Yes, he did. Um, that's a little bit of a side note, but now that he's a citizen. He changed his name, like I think Monday. Oh, good for him. Yeah, I was aware that he became a citizen, but didn't know he changed his name to Freedom. That's Does awesome. it say Freedom on the back of the jersey, or uh, it probably does. It's imagine. saying Freedom in the uh, game logs. Probably so. does. If ESPN has it, probably it's pretty cool though. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. He just became a citizen like on Monday, so he must have changed his name then too. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take a little bit of time to get used to. 
And it's freedom. Yeah, I saw it's E Freedom cool. in the boxcar. Like, who is that? That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, cool to see though. Well, they're tweeting NS Freedom too, like the Celtics beat writers and stuff saying NS Freedom. So oh, okay. I guess it's official. Keith Smith mm-hmm. wrote NS Freedom first go. off the bench. So I guess it does say Freedom mm-hmm. on the back of the jersey. Pretty sick. Kind of like Meta World Peace. It says World oh, Peace yeah. on the back. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. sick. Celtics off to a hot start right now. Um, up sixteen to six. Tatum we got two. Horford has seven, shooting one hundred percent. Jalen Brown just drilled a three pointer. Um, team's looking good so far. Half through the first quarter. Um, I mean, obviously, beating Philly would be a solid win. Even without Ben Simmons, I don't think he really adds that much value on the court, to be honest. I think, I mean, obviously, he's a good player. I don't think he's as good as everyone makes him out to be. Um, Snow win over Philly, a team that's kind of in the same situation as us, 11-10 and 10 right now. I think that would be a quality win for us right now as we're just kind of, uh, kind of trying to get back on track and bump our way up in the standings. Absolutely. Yeah. If you play a team with Joel Embiid, it's always a, uh, a competition. It's always mm-hmm. a very competitive game. Without Horford, though, he knows <laughs> He does. I've always actually had a very good defensive season. I don't think he's worth the thirty-five. What is it? Thirty-two million. No, I but think I think that was a good deal. Up. I mean, Kemba's now out of the rotation. Like the Knicks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was crazy to see. Things uh, are happening there. Tom Thibodeau loves his defensive guys. So yeah, he does. Kemba's not a defense first guy for sure. He's not. He did uh, that from experience. He's not the best defender, Kemba. But I do remember though, a couple times yeah, he'd hustle back and and try to make a play. He just wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he puts an effort, but yeah, he's just a small guy. He's not the quickest side to side on defense and hanging in front of guys. Um, you know, undersized, that definitely doesn't help. Um, you know, under a Tom Thibodeau scheme, too, where, you know, he demands, like, 40, 40 minutes out of uh, a game out of his top guys and defense is everything and effort and hustle and grit. Um, Kemba's just really not that guy, to be honest, um, just the way he plays. I still think Kemba's a great player, but I don't think New York is a great fit for him. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I love the guy. I hope he gets traded somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, you know, even if it, uh, I'm not going to say Brooklyn. I was going to say he'd be a good fit in Brooklyn, but I don't want him to go there. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of teams I could use a guy like him just to kind of create on offense, um, make some shots, move the ball around. Not afraid to drive. That's what I like about Kemba. He'll go up against anyone, which, which mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of. I like his intensity, and I actually want him to do well for the Knicks. I, I love Evan Fournier too. Big fan of him because he's French and uh, was actually great in the Olympics. But I like yeah, both of them going to the Knicks. I thought they both would work well together. And obviously, Kemba being from New York, I thought it'd be a great homecoming. And things just haven't worked out mm-hmm. there. And I wish so nothing about the best. Though. Sometimes, yeah, I hope. I just hope Kemba, now that he's out of the rotation, he can um, you know, find a new home where you know, he can get 20, 25 minutes a game. Yeah, there are teams that definitely um, could use him. Just the guy off the bench. He's not old, too. He's like maybe 32 30, now. 31, something like that, probably. Yeah, I mean, he's still, he's still got it. He's not you know, 2016 Kemba, but he's, yeah. know, he's a solid NBA point guard. He can start for um, probably, you know, probably five, at least 10 five teams. Team, five to 10, I would say, yeah. yeah. Probably start for a good amount, actually. Um, 10 teams is a good amount. It's a third of the league, so... He probably mm-hmm. definitely find his way. Yeah, in the there's rotation. a lot of teams that can still use him. Um, the six are oh, oh, from five. Oh, I can't even speak. Are oh for five from three right now? Actually, so looking like the Celtics against uh, the Spurs, a two or twelve in the field. So Al Horford just blocked the uh, Joel Embiid three point attempt. So Al Horford ready to go. Look at him. He's got seven <laughs> points already too, and and Embiid's mm-hmm. only got he, one. He so. always has a big game against Philly. That uh, 2018 series against Philly, he dominated. Um, I mean, obviously Joel overall is a better player, but somehow Al just has a way with Joel, and he seems like Al kind of always has won that matchup. Somehow, some way, I don't know how he does it, but it's just the, all the little things Al does right. Um, you know, rebounding, staying in front of him, boxing out, just a lot of fundamentals. Um, it seems like Al always somehow finds an upper hand in that matchup with, between him and Embiid. Absolutely, yeah. I think at the end of the day, I do like Al Horvitz's 
veteran presence on the court. I like his defensive mm, I like his leadership uh, abilities. I do like his leadership. Um, but I think the money's getting a lot. But at the same time, I think the deal was probably the best for Kemba, him, the Celtics, and the Thunder. Mm. I think yeah, considering we're going to pay Kemba Thunder probably the same, back. I think it was a good deal for us. Thunder got a draft pick um, too, whatever. So they, they, they were happy mm. at the end of the day. Uh, that's all they're going for. Absolutely. Sam Presti's going for every pick in the twenty twenty. Got Moses draft. Brown in that too, which led to uh, Josh Richardson. That was a great pickup for us. I would have been happy with either Moses Brown or Josh Richardson. They're both great players. I just think Josh Richardson is ready to make more of an impact now. Um, and that's definitely showed the way he's played these first 21 games. Um, I mean, he's looked good out there. Solid shooter, good defender. Um, definitely a bench piece that we were missing last year, I thought. Um, so, you know, I'm, I was really excited when we traded for him, even though we had to get Moses Brown, who I was also excited about. I think he's going to be a great big man. Um, in the NBA moving forward, he's got great size, 7-2. Um, I mean, he can grab boards really well, block shots, dunk it. Um, so, you know, he was a guy that I was excited to have in the Celtics. But Josh Richardson, too, obviously, um, I think he's been a good fit with the team. Absolutely. Um, we'll see how things obviously go. Um, obviously, it's a, you know, it's an early part of the season, like 20 games in, hopefully 21 games, as you've pointed to. Mm-hmm. Hopefully things yeah, work out. a long way to go. Start getting a little more, more consistent offensively. Uh, hopefully we can actually figure things out on defense too, because against the Spurs, I mean, they were just lighting us up at one point mm-hmm. twenty five. Yeah, we really just broke down. That was and the second quarter and at the end too. Just yeah, you go down twenty four points, then you crawl, you crawl all the way back, and then you know you kind of lose it at the last minutes. Absolutely, you know, that's a tough yeah. game. That's going to be demoralizing. So it does just come from consistency at both ends. I think both offensively, um, you know, we really couldn't get the lid off the basket at the end, and then defensively too, letting San Antonio go twenty four points. Um, you know, the talent on their team, they always play good fundamentals under Pop. Um, but that team's talent, you know, they, just, they don't really have, they have Deontay Murray. I'm a big fan of him. I've always wanted the Celtics to try to make a trade He's for nice. him. He's nice. Hey, he could be on the uh, move down there struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really have much else going for them. They got Jakob Pertl. Um, I mean, he's always been a solid role player center in the NBA. Physical too. Um, yeah. yeah. But no real guys that, you know, looking down the box where they jump out to you. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, losing to a team like that in that kind of fashion is tough. Even if it's on the road, you know it's you never want to lose a game like that to that team. Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, a team with Popovich is always a team that'll play the game the right way, limit turnovers, will make the right decisions. Obviously, not as much talent as they did three years ago. Now, even last year, they still had Demar Derozan. They had a ton of talent last year, but mm-hmm. uh, they had Demar Derozan last year, or two years ago. Last year, last year too, they still had him. Okay, so they still had a lot of talent having him there, and obviously now he's uh, with the Bulls, but. Uh, you know, you don't really have the superstars. You used to have Marcus Aldridge, Kawhi Leonard, um, obviously Tony Parker, mm-hmm. all of them are Kawhi gone. Leonard, yeah. Tim Duncan, yeah, all those guys gone. They, were, they had a great team. Exactly. 2013, so 2014. He's working with a lot less now. And, uh, you know, having six wins might be impressive with that roster since Murray's probably their only really good mm-hmm. player. And then, yeah, know, Murray can start for any players. team, I think, honestly, pretty much. Pretty I mean, good, yeah. besides, you know, if you don't have like Steph Curry or another top five point guard, I think. Murray's yeah. right up there. Great two-way player. Absolutely. Steph's had a great season that you mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been going off uh, the Warriors. Yeah, Steph looks great. He probably um, probably his MVP mm-hmm. right now, I would say. Um, yeah, he's got to be right looks now. Unreal. He's looked unreal over the past, the past season. I think they're, the past are they the one seed in the West right now? Really good too. Mm-hmm. I think they're the one or two. Um, they uh, might Phoenix actually is up there, too. Phoenix has won like 17 in a row. Phoenix just took him down last night, actually, at home. Yeah, I think Phoenix is the one. That was a good game to watch. Let me see. Phoenix is the one. Warriors are the two. They're both okay. eighteen and three, though. Now I know they the Suns have the edge, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. They um, had that win last night. Seventeen in a row, though. That's nuts. And yeah, my Kings struggling eight and fourteen, but oh no, you hate uh, to see that. And they're on the eleven right now. We just gotta get to the ten. We'll make the playing game, and who knows what happens after that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. Though obviously, yeah, Steph Curry's probably wide MVP. Open, like twenty one games in. Yep. Steph Curry's probably MVP right, right now. Right now, Steph Curry is easily my MVP. Uh, MVP. Uh, Paul George. MVP pick too. Paul George, my boy. I don't know if there's any other way to go with it right now. Paul George, my dog. He's Paul George could be top five in MVP. Uh, MVP I'd probably say top today, three. I'd say top three. I'd probably put him at three right now. Maybe right now, Steph Curry, no debate. Probably Steph. I would say Steph, and then I actually would put Paul George. He's been great. He's not working with, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard. He's very good players. I think Katie could make his case. Katie probably three. I put Katie at three. I put Paul George at two because just because my boy gets the edge there. But either way, though, yeah, we'll see how things work out. Also, the MVP voting that's you know months away, but either way, it's exciting just to follow it over the course of the season. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Anyway, now yeah, we're running to eight o'clock right now. So. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. It means a lot to both of us. Um, you know, we love just being out here talking sports. So thank you guys. Yeah, so thank you guys for listening to another week of the Playbook with Joey and Zach. You know, they, these do fly by that hour. But uh, mm-hmm. we'll be back Crazy. on BC Radio uh, next Wednesday night uh, from Dece- on December 8th uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. as always. And also, uh, December 11th, Saturday, uh, next Saturday, not this Saturday coming, uh, we will be on the WZBC FM radio station 90.3. Uh, mm-hmm. to do a show. I think it's 1 to 3, right? Yeah, 1 o'clock one to 3, three o'clock. Uh, so definitely tune in then, you know. And we'll be That's going to be a big time. FM studio, turn on your car Could radio. Could some call-ins too, going all the way for two yes, hours. Yes, yeah. Let yeah. us know early in advance, 617-596-3150. Uh, I say that a ton every episode. But uh, definitely let us know <laughs> if you guys want to come on because we, we'll have two hours and it'll be pretty cool. Hopefully we get more guests and get for people sure, on. Yeah. That'd be mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, got but, a lot uh, of time to talk everything. Absolutely. And then hopefully we can... Uh, you know, fill up the two hours of BC stuff, maybe talk NBA, MLB, all that kind of mm-hmm. like we do here. But two hours, obviously, we'll have a lot more to cover, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. So, By the way, too, that will be our uh, last one for the season before we come back next we have semester. We have one more Wednesday so. night. Yeah, one more Damn. Wednesday night, then the two-hour finale, and then that's it till second semester. So, Damn. It's crazy. Oh, that's wild. But uh, thank you guys, though, for listening, as always. Hope everyone has a great rest of the week. And as I always do, shout out to all my family and friends who are listening. Thank you, guys. It means a lot. I really appreciate it. And also, I've meant to do this for a few episodes now. Shout out to my brother, Paul, uh, for all the work he's done for us in setting up uh, our intro and our conclusion. He did that the first episode. I've been meaning to shout him out for that. So thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you, guys. Have a great right, night. Guys. Yeah, see you Stay next blessed. week. Stay well. Thank you, guys, and have a good one.